Hello, and welcome to Green Tea Party, where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems. I'm Katie Zakreski. My name is Zach Torby. Together, we will guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them. All while remaining faithful to our conservative values. Trust me, it'll be a good time. <laughs> yeah, it's a party, so grab your mugs and we'll pour the tea. Welcome back to part two of our celebration of Republican presidents who have done incredible things in order to protect and conserve the land and nature, in addition to promoting clean air and clean water. I'm Katie Sikreski. I'm one of the hosts of Green Tea Party Radio. Uh, you'll remember last week we started talking quite a bit, Zach and I, about uh, Republican presidents, starting with Teddy Roosevelt and a lot of their environmental accomplishments and being history buffs. Zach and I got a little bit carried away and lost track of time. <laughs> so hopefully you listened to the last episode to get a good idea of one of the presidents, the Republican presidents in the early 20th century and their environmental accomplishments. But in today's episode, we are going to talk a little bit about the latter half of the 20th century's Republican presidents, as well as the 21st century's Republican presidents so far and their environmental feats and legislation. A lot of people don't know that Republican presidents have done a lot more for the environment than a lot of Democrats have. You've probably heard us talk about in recent episodes about how a lot of Republican presidential candidates are using environmentalists as a slur. Well, we're here to help them crack a history book and hopefully learn a little bit more about all the environmental accomplishments that Republican presidents have done in the past. Because, like it or not, being an environmentalist is conservative. Enjoy. Our 31st president, Herbert Hoover, from 1929 to 1933, not a very popular president, best known for Hoovervilles. Yeah, I was about to say the Hoovervilles, little cardboard shacks and shanties and villages during the Great Depression. Yeah, faced the challenges of the Great Depression and a lot of, lot of challenges for, for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that speaks for itself. I don't know that we have to expand on, hey, the Great Depression sucked. But it's reassuring as we'll go through this list of stuff that he did, that in spite of a lot of the the heat that he was taking and, and the challenges fa presented by the Great Depression, that environmentalism and conservation was still something that he considered pivotal to address. Hoover took measures to address the de devastating flood along the Mississippi River. The Flood Control Act of 1928, signed into law during his presidency, authorized the construction of levees and other structures to control flooding and protect communities along the Mississippi River, which is really important and is still a concern today, although Mississippi River is currently facing some drought conditions mm -hmm. due to reduced rainfall. Yeah. Also played a role in negotiating and signing the Colorado River Compact in 1922. This agreement allocated water rights among seven western states, laid the groundwork for the development of the Hoover Dam, a major public works project that began during his presidency. That not, and I think that it's something that everybody recognizes the name of, regardless of what yeah. you know about Hoover, Herbert Hoover. One of the mo most important energy development projects in the West. Mm -hmm. And the Colorado River Compact is still one of the most impactful legislations for the West. Wow. I would love to do a full episode on it because its impacts are still felt today. Forward thinking. Forward thinking. And he did make some mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Hey, I, I'm, I'm willing to overlook some mistakes from a president who served during the worst economic period of... <laughs> of the United States, but I won't overlook our current president's failure to navigate economic crises. Let me just go ahead and put that on the record. Hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> it really is. That is 100% correct. 
uh, public lands management. Hoover support efforts to manage public lands for both conservation and economic purposes. He emphasizes res responsible land use and the development of natural resources, reflecting the economic challenges of the time. While Hoover's presidency is not often highlighted for environmental achievements, his administration did contribute to important developments in flood control, water management, and projects like the Hoover Dam. The economic priorities of, of addressing the Great Depression hour overtook the presidency and over and over conservation efforts during the time in office. So very busy with other aspects that were going on during this time. Hey, but you know what? A for effort for saying, hey, I got 400 more important things to deal with right now, but I'm still going to build the Hoover Dam. So thank you for that, President Hoover. And we, we touched on something interesting here. While each president faced different challenges during their terms, their collective actions reflected a, an awareness among them of the need for conservation and environmental stewardship in the, the early 20th century. So a lot of the, the policies that we've mentioned here ended up laying the foundation for future conservation efforts and the development of environmental regulations throughout the country. So in the latter half of the 20th century, a lot of conservative leaders continued to really amplify their concerns regarding environmental issues. So President Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was the 34th president from 1953 to 1961, took several actions related to environmentalism and conservation during his time in office. One was the Highway Beautification Act. So while it wasn't an environmental law per se, Eisenhower signed this act in 1956, which included provisions for beautification along the newly constructed interstate highway system. And this demonstrated an early recognition about the importance of aesthetics and environmental considerations when it comes to public infrastructure. He also signed the creation of Arctic National Wildlife Range Act, and that was in 1960 in Alaska. And that action was taken to preserve the unique and ecologically significant area in Alaska, uh, recognizing the importance of protecting wildlife habitat. And he also supported the establishment of the Land and Water Conservation Fund in 1965, and the Land and Water Conservation Fund was created to support the conservation of natural areas, protect water resources, provide recreational opportunities, etc. That's where we really start to see the flowering of a lot of these environmentally sound, conservation-oriented policies in the latter half of the 20th century, really building on the precedent set by the earlier half of the 20th century. So while Eisenhower's contributions to environmentalism and conservation may not be as prominent as some other presidents, his actions definitely demonstrated an awareness of the importance of preserving the natural resources and promoting responsible land use, uh, especially within the context of a growing infrastructure. And so these mark significant steps towards safeguarding significant natural landscapes and keeping the environment in mind whenever developing public infrastructure as a whole. And developing our highways was a major impact he took. Yeah, absolutely. I was just talking with somebody the other day. My brother-in-law is in the middle of taking aviation courses to become a pilot. And he was like, did you know that the Interstate Act established by Eisenhower says that planes can use interstates as emergency runways if they need to? And I was like, did you know that that same act says that you should take care of those very same interstates? So if you're going to remember one part, let's remember it. Well, the second part, everybody. Do not throw your trash out on the highway. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I will find you. I'm like Batman. If I see you littering, I will make you eat every piece of litter you throw. Do, do not litter in front of me or at all, wh whether or not I'm around like Batman. Yeah, and the Highway Act really just developed our car mindset and um, really oriented us to the way we have developed going forward in our mm. country. That is true. I, I kind of wish that part of that had also included like infrastructure related to 
trains and you know other forms of transportation that weren't revolving around the automobile and the desire for everybody to have their own automobile. <laughs> so I wish that other infrastructure had been considered in that as well. That's a good point. Well, I think he was inspired by two things. Mm-hmm. The He did a tour as a younger person in the army mm-hmm. with in the U.S. to support the World War II, funding for World War II, and marked on how bumpy and awful the driving was across the country. Mm-hmm. And then- yeah. <laughs> He also experienced the German Autobahn, which was like the smoothest highway in the world, and was like, why don't we have this? Why can't we drive 70 miles an hour? If we're the best country in the world, we should have our own version of this, and I agree. (laughs) That's a good perspective to have. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On to our 37th president, and also controversial, Richard Mm -hmm. Nixon, Mm -hmm. who was president from 1969 to 1974. He made significant contributions to environmentalism during his tenure. He was a barely good president, but made a lot of controversial acts and made and really bumbled it down the uh, end with the trying to cheat in the election. Yeah, he probably would have won anyways. <laughs> yeah, that, that's. I think that's my favorite part. Like if he had taken a step back and like read the room, he clearly has the track record to show that. He was doing a lot in a lot of different areas, and you'll even get to see some of that when we talk about some of his environmental his environmental actions here. But I I really think he would have won if he had just like not been dumb. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, his entire incredibly busy presidential career is completely forgotten because of the controversy that followed, uh, because he was a cheater. So, but cheating aside, Richard Nixon did do some things for the environment, and Zach is going to tell us about them now created the Environmental Protection Agency in 1970. He signed the Executive Reorganization Plan that led to the establishment of the EPA. This agency was tasked with coordinating and overseeing federal environmental programs, consolidating responsibilities that were previously scattered across different departments, and and it's still an important organization today. (laughs) Yeah, that was Chelsea Henderson's little piece of trivia. If y'all remember the episode when Chelsea Henderson from Republic EM was on the show, that was her little piece of trivia that it was Nixon who had founded the EPA. And I couldn't even believe that to think that in 1970, the year that my mother was born, sorry, mom, the conservatives were working on environmental things. And, you know, even farther back than this, as this episode has showed. But to think that, you know, Nixon was responsible for that, I could not even believe that when she told us. Yeah. He also signed the Clean Air Act in 1970, which aimed to control air pollution on a national level. This legislation empowered the federal government to set emission standards for cars and factories. And that's still very important today. And like looking back, it's they they must have been looking up and be like, why is all this smog acceptable? Why why do we have to deal with this? I think it was back then it was just the pollution was just so obvious that mm-hmm. you couldn't get away with it. And you were like, we need to do something because I'm having trouble seeing sometimes. Yeah, I all can see pollution. down the street. <laughs> right. The Clean Water Act, Nixon, was passed in 1972, which sought to regulate and improve water quality in the United States while provided funding for sewage treatment plants and set water quality standards. Yeah, we all remember the good old time when you could uh, set rivers on fire. That was a- yeah, the good lots of fun. Just a good old American pastime. Oh, the Chicago River, <laughs> the river, the Chicago River's on fire. Ah, that's a yearly thing. Whatever. Or just a just a normal Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> And in 1972, Nixon signed the Marine Mammal Protection Act, 
Yay. Providing protection from marine mammals by prohibiting the harassment, capture, or killing in U.S. waters. Gotta, gotta love seals. Yeah, gotta love them. And in 1973, the, he signed the Endangered Species Act into law, providing for protection of species at risk of extinction and their habitats. And while Nixon faced criticisms for some of his policies and decisions, his administration's actions in the early 1970s played a pivotal role in shaping modern environmental policy and regulations in the United States. Fabulous. I'm going to go play Pioneer Woman and get bread. I'll be right back. Okay. Conservative and concerned about climate change? You're not alone. My name is Chelsea Henderson, and I host RepublicEN.org's Eco Right Speaks, bringing you weekly guest interviews and stories. John Kasich, Christine Todd Whitman, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, meteorologist Marshall Shepard. Each week, we have a conversation with an Eco Right leader bringing you information, opinions, personal stories, and much, much more. Download, listen, subscribe, and join us each week on the Eco Right Speaks. Pioneer Woman returns, and I did not even burn my bread. It was banana nut. It smells so good. No dysentery this time. Pioneer Woman lives again. All right, so our next president is Gerald Ford, the 38th president of the United States from 1974 to 1977. He faced numerous challenges during his time in office and had to address several environmental concerns. Some notable actions related to his environmentalism and conservation during his presidency include the Clean Water Act amendments of 1972. So while the initial Clean Water Act was enacted in 1972, before Ford even took office, his administration played a really key role in the amendments passed in 1977. So these amendments strengthened the water quality standards and expanded the EPA's authority to regulate discharges into water bodies. Another thing he did was the Energy Policy and Conservation Act of 1975. So he signed this act, which aimed to address energy conservation and efficiency and establish the corporate average fuel economy standards for automobiles, which required increased fuel efficiency in order to reduce dependence on foreign oil. Awesome move way ahead of his time. If I could say one thing, this yeah. act did sort of backfire because it led to automakers trying to find a workaround and classifying yeah. every car as a truck. <laughs> so that's why we have such large cars so that they weigh enough that they can classify them as trucks and not regular sedans. So they can avoid being under the stringent parts of the corporate average fuel economy. So I guess, in a, you know, in a horrible way, it makes me feel a little bit better to know that corporations weren't just trying to screw people over today. They've been doing it for at least 50 years now. <laughs> <laughs> How can we find a loophole that's not good for people? <laughs> right. Exactly. So exactly. Awesome. Love that. Thank you for it. So he also signed the Toxic Substances Control Act of 1976 in a law, which provided the EPA with the authority to regulate and track industrial chemicals. So the goal was to protect public health and the environment from risks associated with the manufacturing and use of chemical substances. Super awesome. He also signed the Endangered Species Act amendments of 1973, which strengthened the protection for endangered and threatened species in their habitats as an animal lover. Thank you very much, President Ford. So Ford's environmental and conservation efforts ended up reflecting the broader national concerns at the time, while also addressing issues such as water quality, energy efficiency, and production of endangered species. And while his presidency was relatively short, his policies that he enacted during his tenure ended up contributing to the evolving landscape of environmental regulations in the United States, which is really reflected in the work of the presidents, the conservative presidents that come after him. And Zach, you've got the honor of talking about the absolute apple of my eye here. 
<laughs> the 40th president. Feel free to chime in whenever you want. Oh, Ronald you. Reagan. Oh, yes. May he rest in peace. Amen. Made several contributions to environmentalism. And he was a more environmentally focused president than I think people think. Because he did, he was like to girls where he also enjoyed the beauty of America and which Mm -hmm. wished to preserve it. In in 1987, we have the Montreal Protocol, an international treaty aimed at phasing out the production of substances which phosphor ozone depletion. Reagan's support for this agreement demonstrated commitment to addressing global environmental challenges. And this is the best example of how international law can come, how international actors can come together and enact a law and create real change because I believe we are seeing the first results of the ozone layer actually starting actually healing now and it's expected to heal back to its original levels in like 2060 so it shows just how how powerful action the united action can be and that we can be a part of the solution in part and be leadership in environmental problems around the world I think it's also a really great timely example because we're just coming off of what I would consider to be one of the worst cops in all of history, COP28, which was overseen by an oil-producing country that said climate change wasn't real. Real awesome move on that, everybody. So I think that, you know, on the one hand, you've got a really bad example of international interested parties coming together to talk about climate change in COP28, whereas you've got this precedent set by Ronald Reagan as far back as 1987 on what productive international powers coming together to talk about a, a a global perspective on environment and climate change what that what that looks like juxtaposed with what we're seeing you know just a couple of weeks ago so thank you ronald reagan for being ahead of your time on that one yeah, I, th- I think it really comes down to just ident- identifying and acknowledging that there is a problem mm-hmm. and figuring out solutions together like mm-hmm. we can do it if we come together and figure it out but if half the part if half the uh, people in the room don't say it doesn't exist and shut their eyes and ears and don't acknowledge it, mm-hmm. nothing's going to happen. Exactly. All right. In 1985, passed the Farm Bill, which included conservation pr- provisions encouraging soil and water conservation practices on agricultural lands. This reflected an effort to balance agricultural productivity with environmental stewardship. Yet a citizen's first I- ideology, which gained traction under Reagan, which said that if we as individuals take action when we see something that needs change, we won't need big government's overreach to accomplish them. Yeah, and I have yeah. talked about this in previous episodes about how Reagan would be out on his ranch and people would be like, well, do you think that this needs to be a big government or small government solution? And he was like, you know, if American citizens leave a place better than they found it and like not throw, not not litter, pick up trash when you see it, if you do what you need to do as a citizen first, you do not need a big government taxing you and fining you and feeding you for everything that you could think of to establish a clean environment. So we really put the onus on the ima- the average American citizen to do the right thing to prevent big government overreach. I'm such a fan of this Citizens First ideology that Ronald Reagan pioneered. I think this is also a much more caring and, mm. I don't know. Well, he lived by example. He was doing it. And he was telling other people, you can do this too. Like, you don't have to be the president to pick up trash that you see outside your house. Yeah. Nowadays, you go to like uh, festivals or any big activity outside, and just mm. literally the day after is just a trashy. Like, and it's <laughs> always in these big liberal cities that like will tell you that we need to tax people five thousand percent for that's an exaggeration, but you get my point uh, f- to help with the climate, and then they'll like litter everywhere, leave trash everywhere. It's like really, gang, really look outside. Yeah, a lack of personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. 
And while Reagan's administration faced criticism for some environmental policies and budget cuts, these instances underscored the complexity of his environmental legacy. This is a court for specific initiatives such as the Montreal Protocol, demonstrating a nuanced approach to environmental issues during his presidency. Excellent. Ronald Reagan, we salute you just a little bit harder than everybody else because we love you. <laughs> Not that I don't love everybody else, but Ronald Reagan. So both George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush took actions related to conservation and environmentalism during their presidencies, although their approaches differed. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and talk about both here. George H.W. Bush was the 41st president from 1989 to 1993, and he passed the Clean Air Act amendments in 1990, which aimed to address air pollution issues by introducing a cap-and-trade system to reduce sulfur dioxide emissions. And this marked a bipartisan effort to tackle environmental concerns. So this is one of the first times that we really started to see a two-party effort on working towards a cleaner environment, at least, you know, emphasized here, iterated here in the actions of the president. He also signed the amendments to the National Environmental Policy Act in 1991, which streamlined the environmental review process for certain infrastructure projects while maintaining environmental protections. And while his administration did not implement major climate change policies, George H.W. Bush attended the Earth Summit in 1992, which signaled a recognition of global environmental challenges. So again, we're seeing that theme of a global solution to environmental problems um, starting to surface in the late 80s and early 90s, not only with Reagan, but also with H.W. Bush. And then George W. Bush, the 43rd president of the United States from 2001 to 2009, proposed the Clear Skies Initiative aiming to reduce power plant emissions of sulfur dioxide. However, this, this act is a little bit questionable. This initiative this is because it faced criticisms for relaxing some of the existing clean air act provisions but in response to a lot of these criticisms and these concerns in particular in response to a lot of the concerns about wildfires bush introduced the healthy forest initiative in 2002 and the plan aimed to reduce the risk of catastrophic wildfires by thinning overgrown forests and promoting fire resistant vegetation some of that same stuff that we saw i believe and Teddy Roosevelt's policies there, Zach, where a lot of the um, sustainable and smart forestry practices in order to prevent wildfires. So, the, and I think that that's a testament to just how forward-thinking Teddy Roosevelt was. And another thing that Bush did was bison conservation. Kind of surprising when you hear that. So coolest animal in America. Yeah, you for sure, easy hands down. Talk about the bald eagle all you want, but the bison is so cool in my opinion and very tasty. Sorry. <laughs> so Bush signed the National Bison Legacy Act in 2005, which made the American bison the national mammal of the United States and highlighted efforts for its conservation. Super cool. So while both presidents took actions related to environmental and conservation issues and debates, a lot of the... Let me, let me redo that one again. While both presidents took actions related to environmental and conservation issues, debates and criticisms surround the effectiveness and balance of their policies, but their approaches often reflect the balancing act between a lot of the economic considerations and environmental concerns that a lot of green Republicans tout today and even highlight as being one of the bonuses of conservatives who are working on the environmental sector. You get a lot of that fiscal responsibility and expertise as well as the, a lot of environmental expertise as well. But not every good thing must come to an end. <laughs> and unfortunately, this is where we start to see a shift. So the conservative stance on environmental issues continues to evolve. And by the late 20th century, a lot of right-wing voices became skeptical of environmental regulations. 
viewing them as burdensome to businesses and individual freedoms. And this shift led to a lot of debates on issues like climate change, where conservative perspectives often clash with more progressive environmental policies. And we've had guests on the show in the past often point to Al Gore's and Inconvenient Truth as being one of the most polarizing pieces of media at that time that really caused the the abyss to widen, if you will, in between conservatives and liberals on the terms of environmental politics. A lot of politics at that time, that's where you can kind of start to see a lot of this falling apart of the 21st century, which leads us to the 45th president of the United States. Zach, you want to tell us a little bit more? Sure. Donald J. Trump. From 2017 to 2021, a very interesting president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. administration took various actions related to conservation and environmental policies. Look, these actions often reflected a focus on deregulation and economic priorities. Some key points include rollback of environmental regulations. The Trump administration pursued an extensive rollback of environmental regulations, including those related to air and water pollution, climate change, and protection for wildlife habitats. This is done with the aim of reducing perceived regulatory burdens on industries. Lots of lawsuits to try to yeah. prevent the EPA and other organizations from properly regulating what they had always regulated. Yeah, that felt like a recurring theme during those four years, just trying to see how much they could put the EPA in a box and how much smaller they can make that box over four years. They nominated who was it, Scott Pruitt, who tried to like dissolve the EPA, like, you know, when he was tied is when he was in the Congress and the Senate. Yeah, we love that. We love that. Yeah. <laughs> Withdrawal from the Paris Agreement in 2017, President Trump announced the intention to withdraw from the United States from the Paris Agreement, which is not binding, of course, so mm-hmm. didn't change anything anyways. An international court aimed at addressing climate change. The withdrawal became effective in 2020, and I'm pretty sure Biden rejoined. Yeah, it just rejoined it. So, yeah, yeah, so A for effort, I guess. <laughs> it does show the limits that presidents have when they don't have the support of Congress on their act. Right, yeah, and even their constituents to some degree, so. Yeah. Opening public lands for energy development, the administration pursued policies to increase energy production, including opening up public lands for oil and gas drilling and scaling back the size of certain national monuments. <laughs> Teddy is doing burpees in his grave, as we speak. <laughs> uh, streamlining infrastructure approvals. Efforts were made to streamline the approval process for infrastructure projects, including those with Potential environmental impacts, the administration aimed to accelerate project timelines to spur economic growth. Trump was always 100% economy, go, go, go all the time. So it's not surprising. Yeah. But when you pursue the economy at, at 100%, there are, yeah. there are other things that fall to the wayside. Mm-hmm. On removal of net energy initiatives, while the administration supported traditional energy sources, it also took steps to promote clean aspects of renewable energy, such as streamlining permitting process for certain renewable projects. Which is good. Mm-hmm. And one of the good things that Trump did was focus on regulations and reducing burdensome regulations, which is something we should, we are still working on. That yeah, still I was to just work. about to say, yeah, permitting reform. And there were even some, some environmental regulations in the Inflation Reduction Act passed in 2022 that were really geared towards removing a lot of this, a lot of this red tape that Trump himself had tried to remove. So it was good for small government, but it was bad for the environment. so public opinion on trump's environmental and conservation legacy varies with a lot of supporters citing economic growth and reduced regulatory burdens while a lot of critics tend to talk about their concern for potential long-term environmental impacts and withdrawal from international agreements that address climate change and the approach taken by the trump administration 
really reflects that key shift in emphasis towards economic considerations and reducing perceived regulatory hurdles. So even today, uh, the landscape of, of right-wing environmentalism and conservation continues to evolve. Obviously, you wouldn't have seen a podcast like this here just a few years ago, much less 10 years ago. So there's a lot of varying views on the role of government and free market solutions and the balance between a lot of economic interests and environmental protection. So here's to hoping that no matter what the goofy folks running for president say, we will soon have a whole lot of politicians in office and young voters who are conservative, but not at the cost of their environmental concerns. I think as a growing constituency, as we age and become a larger constituency in the Republican Party and politics in general, I think Republicans will start to realize that they need to win over some of the younger voters who are more concerned about the future than the 80-year-olds they're currently catering to, to. Absolutely. Yeah, which is a great segue, Zach, into our action steps section of today's show. So as always, you know, my favorite soapbox is write your member of Congress. Let them know not to be afraid to be an environmentalist because being a conservative is inherently environmentalist. Feel free to pull from any of the nearly dozen examples we gave you here. So go to house.gov and enter your zip code to find your member of Congress in the House of Representatives or go to senate.gov and click find your senators, then select your state to find your member of Congress in the Senate. And please tell them, as a conservative environmentalist, you would like them to do whatever. Whatever it is that pertains to either your state or a federal policy, but be sure to emphasize your concern as a conservative environmentalist that environmentalism is inherently conservative regardless of what the media says. And don't forget to be nice. Please be nice. Please be nice. Please be nice. <laughs> yeah, I- I'm going to try and work on becoming, getting on a first name basis with the bio. He may be not the congressman, but maybe his uh, <laughs> um, assistance. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I just got my curse. Well, I didn't just get it, but here a couple weeks ago, I got a Christmas card from one of my members of Congress, and it is one of the most rewarding feelings in the world. So even if you can't do it for completely altruistic purposes, do it for that holiday greeting card. <laughs> <laughs> and tweet us at Green Tea Party Radio Show and tell us how you navigate political discussions. Fabulous. So for you, our listener, email us with your thoughts. Our email is info at greenteapartyradio.com. And again, thank you so much for listening to Green Tea Party Radio. A very, very special thank you to all of our patrons. We absolutely could not do this without you. I feel like I say this every show, but I want to get merchandise going soon. And you better believe you guys are going to be number one on the list right after us, of course, to get merchandise and signed thank you cards. So thank you so much. This is like literally a from the ground up project. We could not do it without you. And we are so, so thankful for you. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes as well as Green Tea Party Radio merch, check us out at greenteapartyradio.com. If you have feedback, tell us what's on your mind and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and whatever social media you were so reached on. And just so you know, this is our passion project. We don't have any organizational sponsor. We're not founded by George Soros. He's not giving us money. We're not a ploy by the left to bilk you out of your conservative money. I promise we're not. And you can look me up on Facebook. I am a real person. Nobody's giving us money except our patrons. Thank you, patrons, again. But we're building a movement because we want the world to know that conservatives have important things to say about climate change. And this episode is proof that we have for over 100 years. So be part of that voice. Be part of that movement. And shout us out. Talk with us about what's on your mind. 
And if you want to hear our show at your college radio station, email us at info at greenteapartyradio.com and give us the details about your campus and your radio station. The email again is info at greenteapartyradio.com. Thank you so Thank much for listening, everybody. Listening. Thank you. <laughs>